tall and she grew up right with them Indiana boys on an Indiana night. The Keeping the Nostalgia Alive show is proudly brought to you by the Hoosier Basketball Academy. Want to improve your game and be an elite athlete? Hoosier Basketball Academy, located in the heart of Hoosier Hysteria, provides an excellent opportunity for student-athletes to improve their basketball skills. Their goal at Hoosier Basketball Academy is to provide an opportunity for young athletes to reach their full potential and allow them to compete at the highest level. Using their training model, they believe a solid foundation of fundamentals and muscle memory training is critical for the development of elite basketball players. This can only be achieved if you are mentally tough, have a strong work ethic, and are willing to sacrifice countless hours needed to be the best you can be. The Hoosier Basketball Academy offers high-intensity basketball training focusing on small groups and individual attention needed to improve your game, as well as specialized training and drills done at game speed to push you to your limits and improve overall physical conditioning. One of HBA's goals is to improve the skills and abilities of each player trained by focusing on ball handling, proper shooting mechanics, speed, agility, and footwork allowing you to take your game to the next level. This training is for players that are serious about improving their skills. Hard work pays off and gives you the competitive edge in practice that carries over to games against your biggest rivals. In addition to offering training, HBA fields highly competitive travel teams with many teams qualifying for nationals each year. Visit HBAElite.com for more info. Be elite and train to be the best. Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, Indiana Basketball Memory Show. I'm your host, Billy Powell. Uh, today with me is a state champion and Mr. Basketball from the state of Tennessee, an Indiana Hoosier who was a, an All-American and led the Big Ten in scoring one year, also known as the Spartan Killer, and also, also uh, the author of a new book called Days of Night, how the General Changed My Life, Kirk Haston. Haston? Haston? I knew I was going to do it again. <laughs> no, you got it right. Haston okay. is, is dead on. Okay. Uh, Kirk, thank you so much for spending some time with us and uh, helping to keep the nostalgia alive and also talking about your life in basketball and also your new book. We appreciate it. Yeah, sure. No problem at all. Yeah, Kirk, what was, what, was it like, what was your first recollection of how you got introduced to the game of basketball? Uh, well, uh, my granddad was a, uh, uh, he, he was a really, uh, a good basketball player, played college uh, baseball and basketball at, uh, Lipscomb University. And then he was a head coach at Fried Hardeman University, uh, uh, an NAIA school. And, um, and luckily he just had the keys that seemed like every gym, uh, within about a 20 mile radius. I don't know how he pulled it off, but he just always, he just always would tell me, he said, listen, I'm never going to. I'm never going to make you go work out. I'm never going to make you go in the gym. But, uh, you know, if, uh, if you ever want to go, I'll get you in somewhere and we'll shoot. And so, um, and very often it wouldn't be, I wouldn't have one word out of my mouth before granddad was already hopping up and grabbing the keys, uh, and to, to go to one of the gyms, this big key chain that had all these keys on it. And, uh, uh, and we just spent a ton of time in gyms together playing games. And, uh, he just always, always made it fun and interesting. Um, did what teams like? Did you look up to local high school teams when you were a youngster, or uh, did you follow college teams at a young age, or pro or, or pro teams, or was there any players out there that you kind of were, were your favorite and you kind of uh, tried to emulate while you played ba basketball at a young age? Uh, I really did uh, 
I really always liked Akeem Olajuwon. Uh, he was one of my favorite players growing up. Um, and uh, I just, uh, uh, I just, I don't know. I really like the, uh, I, I really like the art of, of, of post moves and kind of how he made it. Uh, how he kind of made it look like dance moves on the court. And I knew that the way I danced, I was never going to be able to be a really good, uh, <laughs> make my name as a dancer. And so I thought the only other way I could, you know, kind of show off some decent footwork would be in the post. And so uh, I, I just, um, I don't know. I really, I really liked watching him play. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of players that I enjoyed watching, uh, you know, some that I had no chance of ever <laughs> being able to, uh, uh, replicate what they did. You know, everybody, uh, liked watching Shaq and Penny. That was another big, uh, duo that I liked watching growing up. But, uh, but Elijah Wong was one of my favorites to watch. <laughs> you, you know, it's funny that you say that because I was just came across the video footage of, you know, the mid nineties when, uh, Robinson was named MVP and Akeem Olajuwon had to go into San Antonio and played and, and actually really took David Robinson to school with that footwork. Oh, he just, he just carved him up. <clears throat> I mean, there wasn't much, uh, there, there, there was very few people who could make David Robinson look bad, but, uh, Akeem Olajuwon's, uh, you know, dream shakes and, uh, and, and shoulder fakes and, uh, and, and hooks left and right. Uh, he, um, he, he was one of the few players that could, could make somebody like David Robinson, uh, you know, look somewhat foolish on the defensive end. How did you hone your game before getting to high school? I mean, did you, did, did you have a, a hoop at the house? Did you, did you do AAU? I'm, a, you know, a lot of the people that I talked to, AAU, AAU was, was just not around when they were coming up and becoming the basketball players that they were. But is that, did you go through AAU? Did you play a lot at, at your house or did, was there a gym that you would always go into? It, it started a lot in the backyard. Um, uh, we got the driveway paved mainly so we could have something to dribble on in the backyard. And, and, um, and we just, um, I had a neighbor that was a pretty good player and we, we played a lot. I still, I recently in the attic found a, an old poster board where he and I had our, you know, had charted, I'd kept up with all of our wins and losses and series records uh, in one-on-one games, uh, in the backyard, just, you know, you know, I don't know, a hundred games that were on this, you know, board, just big blue Sharpie and a big white poster board that just had Kirk versus Dan. You know, it was, uh, um, it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't quite the Dave versus Dan Olympic battles, but it was, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of about a hundred games. And we just did that a lot. I remember, I remember playing in the backyard and, and, you know, taking the first shot and uh, the net being frozen. And we had to, you know, we had to break the net back and forth. So the net would uh, loosen up so we could get the ball to go through. But, uh, I just, I had a couple, I had two or three, we lived in a, living in a basketball, um, you know, a basketball County uh, in Perry County in Tennessee is, it was a big help. We, we got into gyms and we, uh, I used to, I didn't say, I wouldn't say I lied, but I always told my girlfriend I need to get back home on like Friday or Saturday nights in high school. And I'd get back at about 11 PM and I'd give her a call and say like, Hey, I made it back to the house. Okay. And then I'd call a couple of my friends and we'd go to Lovell elementary gym from about 11:30 to 2 a.m. and we just play one on one on one, uh, you know, or two on one, or just you know, 21, and we just play. Uh, so it that was a that was a big part of of development. And I did actually play some AAU and, and got in with some, some good groups, but uh, that was uh, that was probably where it really started. Uh, Kirk, you know, uh, going to Indiana University, I'm assuming that probably you know you know all about Hoosier hysteria and what high school basketball is is to everybody is to a Hoosier. Um, kind of, is there a comparison between high school basketball in Tennessee, kind of like that in Indiana, or was it Indiana you felt was a little bit more special or just had a little bit more, uh, um, you know, um, excitement to it? 
You know, I think as much as I love, you know, as much as I love Tennessee high school basketball, um, I think that I think Indiana high school basketball kind of has the the market cornered on on the history and the tradition. I mean, you know, we we get some good crowds at the Murphy Center, but you know, you look back at the history of I, I saw recently on my Twitter timeline a photograph of uh, I think the, the um, was it the Damon Bailey high school championship game that had like. 25,000 people in attendance. I mean, uh, you're, you're uh, I, I think the, um, I don't know, I think the provenance of Indiana high school basketball has is, is, is got just about every other state beat. Uh, I, the history there is, is, is pretty, um, it's pretty daunting to try to overcome when you're trying to compare it to any other state. So I, I would give the edge of Indiana high school basketball over just about anybody. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you brought that up. It, it was, it was slightly over 41,000 and today's the actual, I think thirty-year anniversary. I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, Kirk, take Is that us. Right? Yeah, take us, take us to high school. What what kind of uh, uh, history did your high school have in basketball? Were they very successful before you got there? Yes, um, you know we had, um, uh, you know we kind of had our own version of um, of of Hoosiers, and uh, um, you know I think it's. Uh, uh, it was in Milan. It was based on, I, I believe, mm-hmm. um, uh, Hickory, and we had a uh, we had one class of only one classification up until the uh, I think it was the mid '60s or maybe even early '70s. And so it was one, you know, you know, class A. We're you know my the high school here in Perry County right now only has about 300 students, and and back in the '50s it was only about oh about 150 students, and they won the, the state championship. In '54, '55, I'm sorry, in '55, '56, and '57, uh, and that was going against schools, uh, you know, out of Nashville and and Memphis. I mean, that was uh, against, um, you know, with no classifications, they were they were slaying some giants, and so that really, you know, that group really did lay the groundwork for our tradition. And we've had, uh, you know, we've had over, uh, I think we've had 27 state tournament appearances, and um, and we've won. Uh, Six state championships, so that's that's pretty good for a you know a little class A school with one one high school in the county. Now, once you got to high school, did you have instant success at basketball? Did you play any other sports, and were you did you have another favorite sport really besides basketball? Uh, my first love was baseball, but when I played my my freshman year in high school, and and uh, I realized that um, you know my my seventy one mile hour fastball wasn't going to get me very far, <laughs> and and so I decided that uh, even though I I could I could pick a few clean at at first base defensively, I, I just uh, I it was time to start focusing more on basketball. I, I probably my my you know I played I actually played golf all four years in uh, in high school, and that's um, you know that's still a big passion of mine today. Is I, I play I play golf. I, I, people ask me all the time to play in little rec league tournaments or. Uh, some uh, pickup games, and I just tell them, listen, I, I can't, I can't risk an ACL tear. I've, I've lasted this long without an ACL tear. I can't risk it going into uh, the, into the golf season. I'm sorry, you know, and then that, that could be in December, whenever. It's all, I'm always heading into golf season, so that's the excuse I always use. But uh, those, you know, those, those are my three sports that I've always loved. And and, and so, uh, did you have instant success right, right as a freshman in basketball? Uh, in, in basketball, yes. Uh, uh, I really, uh, I, I played some significant minutes. I probably played about ten or fifteen minutes a game my freshman year. Um, you know, my vertical leap I think was measured by I could clear a Mastercard uh, my freshman year, and so I, I didn't do I didn't do a whole lot. I actually never, even though I was, 
I was 6'4 as an eighth grader, and I was 6'6 as a freshman in high school. I actually didn't even dunk a basketball until between my, in the summer between my freshman and sophomore year. And then I really started, you know, uh, you know, I started losing some of my baby fat and just really took my conditioning a lot more, you know, a lot serious, more seriously and, and, uh, and got myself in a lot better shape and, and, uh, and, and things started turning around pretty quick my sophomore year. But, uh, freshman year, uh, you know, I was kind of in the range of about six, seven points per game and, and about 15, 15 minutes a game, 10, you know, 15, 20 minutes, but not really impactful or anything my freshman year. Now, now, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you feel like you had a special group when you came in as a freshman? Because you guys eventually won the, state, the Class A state championship there in Tennessee, right? Yeah, we um, uh, we didn't really know that, that freshman year. We ended up making the state tournament with a record of sixteen and, and twelve, and we just we'd gotten uh, we. I came in at the same time as a new coach, uh, Coach Bruce Latin, and. When we made that state tournament in the freshman year, we all kind of started thinking we might have something here because <laughs> uh, we're a pretty young team. And uh, and then uh, by the time by the time uh, you know we were uh, juniors, uh, most of us were juniors, and the and there was a couple players that um, were coming up that were freshmen, sophomores that were talented. We thought well, this is this is going to be one of those runs. Um, and uh, and so it's been every twenty years we won a state championship. Uh, and you know, in the fifties or fifty-seven, and then we won another one in seventy-seven, and then it was feeling like it was going to be our turn in ninety-six or ninety-seven, and we lost it in ninety-six, and then we uh, we kind of um, we lost the state championship game in ninety-six, and and really, uh, you know, that that was so crushing to us that we just went on a tear our senior year, and we went thirty-seven and zero, and, and won it in, in ninety-seven. Uh, but it was it was a special group. We had uh, we had two or three. Um, College level players on our team, and for Class A school to have that kind of talent was uh, was uh, was a, was a rare thing and a special thing to be a part of. I'm, I'm assuming that not very many teams go undefeated and win the state championship, Tennessee, like in Indiana. Am I correct? No, it's 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 uh, it hasn't happened uh, very often. I think that I think that in the on the boys' side, it's it's happened um, uh, in Class A uh, a couple times, and maybe in all three classifications. Uh, a handful of times, but it hasn't hasn't been very common. It's been a little bit more common on the on the on the girls' side, but not not very on the boys. You know, in Indiana, everybody goes to the tournament. You said that did you have to qualify for the tournament in the state of Tennessee? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, we had. Um, you know, it, it's just that the top four teams in the district qualify for uh, the region tournament, and then uh, you've got to make it to the uh, once you get you've got to get past the region semifinals. Um, that's basically uh, when you. Uh, get to the region finals. I'm sorry. When you get to the region finals, that's that's basically the Sweet 16, and then uh, the winner of the region gets to host uh, sectional or host sub-state, and uh, and the loser has to go on the road uh, to play their sectional uh, or sub-state, uh, depending on you know we we some people call it both around here. I think it's sectional in in Indiana, but um, but then uh, the the final the elite eight is the state tournament, so everybody in the state tournament is uh, in. They bring all eight teams in the state tournament of, of the classifications to play the the uh, quarterfinals and semifinals and finals at Murphy Center and at MTSU. Uh, at what point did you get on the college basketball coach's radar? And do you remember the first team that contacted you? Yeah, it was it was pretty. Uh, when I started getting, uh, you know, the first few letters I got uh, were were pretty interesting. I I don't really remember the first letter. I do remember um, the first. The first assistant coach uh, to come to a practice 
at uh, at, at, at Perry County High School gym uh, with a with a coach by the name of uh, Coach Crean, who was an assistant of Coach Izzo at Michigan State. <laughs> and so that was a weird uh, 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 crossing of paths. Was that was the the first assistant that I ever met uh, ended up being. Uh, uh, the future Indiana, you know, men's basketball coach. So, uh, but, uh, I, I, I was really, I was really wanting to be tethered. I was kind of, I was really, uh, hand, I was really handcuffing myself at first. I was really just wanting to stay in state and be close to home for no other reason than just being afraid to get too far away, I guess. And so, um, I, you know, Vanderbilt and, uh, and then, uh, Tennessee were my, my two choices that I were really looking at. And, they both offered scholarships, and then Van Bredikoff was at Vanderbilt, and he decided for some reason that uh, I couldn't play in the SEC, and so he actually rescinded his offer, which was kind of a weird thing to go through. And then uh, Coach O'Neill uh, at Tennessee had a few too many early commitments, and they actually ran out of spots. And so Coach O'Neill actually gave Coach Knott a call and said, uh, you know, we really wanted this kid, but we've, we've already, um, you know, we're already maxed out in our scholarship offers. Y'all may want to take a look at him. I think he might fit the way y'all play. And uh, that's how Coach Knott, you know, came into my life was uh, via a recommendation from the Tennessee men's basketball coach, which was a uh, unusual way, an unusual route to take. So when did you make your decision, and what really, what really kind of, uh, you, know, you know, sealed the deal with uh, uh, committing and going to Indiana University? Well, uh Coach Knott had sit down uh, one of his assistants, um, and uh, they they came to practice, and uh, and then uh, after that, the next step was Coach Knott wanted to come to a game, and uh, the game that uh, and it's kind of it's really tough to do during during the schedule of, of college schedule and high school schedule to try to get to blend together. But there was a road game that we were playing at Clifton, Tennessee, which is as small as our school is. Their school is quite a bit smaller than ours, and the town. Is, is you know is pretty small and the gym's pretty small and uh, and so we kind of kept it under wraps that Coach Knight was coming to the game because we knew a lot of things could, could happen and we just like we we wanted to tell everybody but you know you know you couldn't really you know something could come up and you just didn't want to do that to, to Coach Knight and 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 look like we didn't know what we were talking about at the same time and so we're in warm ups and Coach Knight still hadn't shown up at the game and um, I'm kind of looking around and. All of a sudden, there's just this buzz in the gym. Like I, I, people start jogging in and out of the gym, and I didn't really know what was going on at first. And later, I was told, you know, this this area back then, especially, did not have very good cell phone coverage, and there wasn't very many cell phones to begin with. And so, what everybody was doing was, once they saw him come in the gym, they started going out and finding phones in the school and going out to the payphone outside, saying, "You guys, y'all need to get to the gym." And uh, I. I swear to this day, I think the score, uh, the scorekeeper put extra time on the clock to give people a chance to get to the gym because it ended up being pretty capacity. You know, it, was, it was at capacity just about when the game started, and it wasn't like that at all for most of the night during the girls' game or, or even our warm-ups. And, uh, and so Coach Knight leaves at halftime, and um, you know, I, I had a pretty good first half, but you just never know what coaches are looking for. And, uh, and so Coach Slatton, my high school coach, said, well, they should call us tomorrow sometime at school. Uh, you know, it was like a, uh, it was like a Thursday, it was like a Monday game, I guess, and we're going to be at school the next day. And so I'm in English class and my high school coach comes in and calls me out of English class, which is always a good thing. I'm always looking to get out of English class. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, he pulls me out and I go in and he goes, there's a phone call for you. 
And so I go in and pick up the phone in the principal's office, and and Coach Knight is is, is on the other line, and you know, no pleasantries, just straight to the point, which I you know later on got used to that that there wasn't many pleasantries. It was just like you were in mid conversation when you pick up the phone with him. And uh, he goes, uh, Kurt. I said yes, sir. He goes, uh, came to see you play last night. Um, I'd like for you to come play at Indiana. How does that sound to you? And I said. I'd never taken I'd never taken a visit. I actually never saw Coach Knight at the gym the night before, so I'd never met him, never seen him, just know of him, know of Indiana basketball, and uh, never took a visit. And uh, I just told him right there in the office, I said, Coach, if you think I can play for you, I want to play for you. And he said, well, we'll send you the paperwork. And that was the recruiting process of how I ended up at Indiana. <laughs> Awesome. Hey, uh, Kirk, where were you, and what kind of uh, special what what kind of special place in your heart does it hold that, that you found out that you were uh, named the uh, Class A Mister Basketball? Uh, that was that was a pretty neat deal. Uh, one of my AAU teammates, Sam Howard, that went to Vanderbilt. We were both nominated for it our junior years in '96, and he'd won it. And then we were both nominated for it again in '97, and uh, and and then I had a chance to win it. So. It was pretty neat to be able to to share that moment with him for for two years, and us both being teammates and and um, and, and being able to share that 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 privilege and honor together. Um, you know, that's that's I don't know. It's something really neat that that it's it's just a neat thing for the school. Um, you know, I think that any time that you, you can um, you know you can add to the to to a trophy case like the one we have at Perry County High School with with uh, with an honor like that, it's um, it's, a, it's a special thing for the player in the school. Uh, so you get all loaded up before you get to Indiana University. You are, you are you scared? Are you nervous? Did you feel like you made the right decision? And what's it like when you first get to campus? <laughs> well, the uh, I was I was green to say the least. I was nervous to say the least. The first class I ever went to uh, was a psychology class, and uh, the number of students that was in my first class at Indiana University was more students than it was in my entire school and high school. So it was uh, it was a little bit intimidating to, to walk in and see that many people and be like, how in the world do you get anything done with this many kids in one class? And uh, and so the, the, the really the first memory I remember of being on campus was incoming freshmen would come up and work the, the basketball camp, the Bob Knight Basketball School basketball camp. And so all the freshmen, you know, the incoming freshmen weren't allowed to work the camp with the kids yet, but we were allowed to work the concession stand. So we were stuck in, you know, the middle of the dorms uh, outside uh, in the little commons area and, and selling, you know, Papa John's pizza all day in the heat. And uh, the first day there, uh, I was there with, um, uh, I believe it was me and Jared Odell and um, Antoine Randall L. And so uh, we're, we're, we've been there all day, and I'm, you know, it's been a pretty good day, and we're getting ready to leave. And, and Antoine, who's never been one to, to shy away from making, you know, comments or telling you how, what he thinks, which I love about him, he said, uh, you know, he said, I got two pieces of advice for you. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. I'm getting, you know, he, he, he seems to know what's going on. He said, he told me, he said, go buy a belt and go buy an iron. And then he just walked off. And I was like, man, I've got if I can't even dress, what in the world? If I can't even, I can't even dress right, I'm not going to be able to play, you know. So uh, that, that, that shook me a little bit, but I did go to Target that night and make sure to give me a broken iron. Uh, so from, from that point on, I just kind of listened, uh, listened to everybody, especially Antoine. So the first couple of practices, what did you think you got yourself into? And Can you, can you tell us a little bit about a, a practice with Coach Knight? 
Oh yeah. We uh, the the really the first introduction to practices is the individual workouts, um, which you know is, is you can only you can only have um, I think it's three or four players that at one time uh, can work out you know for forty five minute stretches with the coaches. And so you get the full focus of all the coaches on on you know on you while you're out there working, and it just it just uh, you always you always wanted to go in one of the first workouts because there was nothing worse than to be waiting outside those big double doors of the assembly hall and see the four player the four players that just got through with their individual workout and see their shirts just drenched in sweat and how they could barely walk and just know that that was the future that lied ahead of you. You know, you just wanted, you just, you know, and then Michael Lewis, he, you know, if he was one of the people in front of you, he would just kind of, you know, give that grinch grin to you and just kind of be like, good luck with that, you know, you know, Rook, uh, as you're going in and you're just, oh, man, this is just going to be dreadful. And, and those, those workouts were the toughest things I've ever been through on the basketball court were those individual workouts. And, they just, I just couldn't believe the, the planning and the timing. You know, of course, we had like 16, 16 or 17 managers, and they just all had specific jobs. And so it wasn't like, hey, that's a water break, guys, and you have four or five minutes to go over to the cooler and take a break. You just kind of stayed wherever you were, and the manager sprinted to you with a water bottle so you didn't waste any time walking back and forth to the, to the cooler. And you got about one-minute water break, and then they were sprinting off the court, and then you were right back into the drill you were doing. Um, and that was uh, – <laughs> It was uh, it was a rude awakening that first uh, few weeks of, of trying to get uh, in shape enough to make it through those workouts, uh, and, and not only you know you're wanting to impress, uh, and it's you know to, to be able to impress while you're fatigued is one of the toughest things to do uh, in a coach not practice. Were you ever in the doghouse, and how did you get out of the doghouse, or were you always in the doghouse? Um. Oh yeah, I, I, I was in the doghouse. I, I I would say that. There was one time in particular I got kicked out. I got kicked out of practice um, right before it was one day. One day before we were leaving for the NCAA tournament, um, my first year playing, my sophomore year because I redshirted, but my first year playing, we were set to play George Washington in the first round <clears throat> in Orlando, and we had one more one more practice day um, uh, before we left uh, Bloomington. And the day before that, I had had just I was having a terrible practice, and Coach Knight tells me to start running the steps of Assembly Hall, which, you know, Assembly Hall is one of the, one of the steepest stadiums in America. And, and, you know, uh, you know, every, you know, all about 112 of those steps at that, at that, you know, at that uh, angle is not the easiest thing to do, but especially when coach Knott's still down below listing all the things that you've been doing wrong, uh, as you, you know, it's, it's pretty impressive that you can still hear his voice pretty clear at 112 steps above <laughs> the Hall's court. Uh, but he was listing off everything uh, that I had done poorly with a few, uh, you know, verbs and adjectives uh, that uh, I don't need to repeat uh, on air. And and, uh, and then he finally just said, he said, you know, don't waste our time. If you can't play any better than that, just get out of here. And so he kicked me out of practice and uh, and told me that he would take me to Orlando <laughs> to the game, but I wasn't going to dress. And uh, and so I, I had seen earlier in the year he, he, he had done this to an upperclassman, and the next day at practice, that upperclassmen couldn't even dress for practice because all of his gear had been uh, taken out of his locker, including his nameplate and their, his shoes, his you know jerseys. Everything was cleared out. So I immediately went to the locker room, got all my stuff up, and went to a bathroom down the hall that nobody used and hit all my gear uh, in, the, in the shower stall in the very back. <laughs> and because I was like, he may, he may 
try to keep me from practicing tomorrow, but if I'm going to play the NCAA tournament, <laughs> which I've dreamed of my whole life, I better make sure I got at least some clothes to put on. And so um, I got there and uh, got my gear and, 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 and dressed in the shower stall of this bathroom, and I'm glad I did because my stuff had been cleared out of my locker. And um, I came out on the court ready for practice, and I, I, I started shooting and warming up as far away from where Coach Knight was going to come in, uh, you know, on the other end, just, you know, kind of just hoping, kind of that whole deal where, like, George Costanza, you know, gets himself or he quits from the Yankees and Seinfeld, he just shows up for work the next day, and like, oh, that, that was nothing. You don't remember that? that was me. So I was just like, maybe he won't even remember that whole deal yesterday. And so uh, I seen him talking to Tim Garl, and uh, and I was like, well, this is Tim either coming down to tell me that I'm in practice or to get my butt out of practice. And uh, Tim Girl walked all the way down, and he was just like, I had I had a, uh, a hand injury that I had kind of self-taped. And he just looked at my hand. He said, if you're going to practice, you need to let me get, do a better tape job than that on your hand. And so I knew that that was Coach, you know, I knew that I was getting a second chance. Had a great practice, and, uh, and Coach and I ended up starting me in that first-round game against George Washington. And I ended up having my career high, uh, 27 points in that game and, and a win uh, against George Washington. So I went from kickoff, not going to dress, not able to practice, to getting working my way and passing the test and getting out of the doghouse and getting the chance to start and having a career high. And that was, that was, that's a pretty good snapshot of kind of the tests and challenges you kind of go through as a player with Coach Knight. Uh, Kirk, what? Give us your take on what the atmosphere was like at Assembly Hall, and and did you have to get yourself pumped up? Did the crowd pump yourself up for you, or what? What was it like going out? You know, for, for all the listeners, what I mean, I mean, do you have? Did you have goosebumps, or was it just like a, a, a high, some kind of high? <laughs> to, to be honest, I just I just got goosebumps thinking about it. Uh, no lie, uh, just just to kind of give people a. Uh, um, uh, a small example of, of of what you're dealing with. I mean, it's just impossible to describe the sound and just kind of the 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 feeling that you know, just this reverberation you feel in your body when when that place erupts. But there there have been times where, like, if somebody is shooting foul shots uh, and you're walking up behind them, trying to tell them what we're getting into or talk about matchups. And they're at the foul line, and you're like at the top of the key, the three point line, and you're yelling at them. You know, so go, you know, somebody's listening to this, you know, go stand in your kitchen behind somebody and just yell their name as loud as you can and just real, and just think about that person in front of you not being able to hear you. <laughs> and that's that, and that's the honest truth. Like you, you could be a foot behind somebody yelling at them, I've got Randolph, I've got Randolph, and they would have no clue that you were even in, in, within five feet of them telling them anything. <laughs> Kirk, what, what was it like, what were some of your favorite places to play besides Assembly Hall that you felt like, you know, the, the floor gave you a couple inches or, or the rim was kind to you? <laughs> well, I always played good. Uh, for some reason, I always played good. Uh, there's, they always had friendly rims at Minnesota. Uh, although we lost some, we had two heartbreaking losses there two years in a row. I usually played well there. Uh, I've always played well at Penn State. Um, I, I liked playing at Mackey, I think it's Mackey Arena in Purdue, if it's still called Mackey Arena. I think everything with name changes. Uh, but, uh, the, the other side of it, my, my least favorite place, and I thought it was just a dump, was, uh, <laughs> was the, uh, it was, was the Illinois Assembly Hall. I don't know if it was just because they both, just because they bogarted our name on, 
on I think the football stadium and the uh, and the uh, basketball arena. Uh, I, maybe I had ill will towards them already, but that place always just was dark and just cold. And um, I don't know. I just never just maybe it had to do with having to play against Frank Williams a lot, and I, and I just didn't like it because of that because he always killed us. But uh, I, I always hated playing at Illinois. I just never did like that place. Kirk, I, I know this may be a difficult question, but what was the impact on you? I know I, you, you lost your mother during your sophomore year, correct? Yeah, correct. And what did I mean? What did she mean to you? And can you tell us a little bit about you know how did that change you any when when she passed with that awful accident? Well, one of the things um, that that I tell people with that is that uh, I, I was I was very lucky not to have any kind of regrets about, you know, you know, we like, I wish that I, I wish I'd told her this, or I wish I, I wish that I'd, we'd gotten along better. I mean, it was, it was really, it's really a relieving feeling to know that, you know, we just, we just had a great relationship. I mean, she, she was, um, she was an only child and then I was her only child. And, and so, you know, we, we didn't have a huge family. Uh, and so we relied a ton on each other and, um, you know, I, I just, if I could be just, if I can be just half the parent she was to me, that I, if I can be half the parent to my three kids, then I think I'm going to be in really good shape because being a single mom, uh, and, and, uh, and, and raising, raising me after, uh, uh, you know, uh, my dad left, it, it was really tough on her when I was only about three years old. Uh, but I mean, I remember one thing that Coach Knight said to me, on more than one occasion that, that just always, um, it, he always just said it at the right time was that, you know, he was, he was always preaching toughness to me. And, uh, he was like, you know, you know, you're, you know, look at look how tough your mother was and what she went through and, and what she gave you and the opportunities she provided for you. So, you know, that toughness is in you, uh, because you're just like her, you know, so he, he would say stuff like that to me all the time. It just, uh, meant, meant the world to me. And was he like that the whole time that you know? And I know, no, we're going to talk about the book here in a minute. But um, um, you know, there's there's uh, perception and there's reality. You know, the perception uh, a lot of people either love or hate Coach Knight. It sounds like you have a great. You, you sound like you have a great deal of respect and love toward that guy. Yeah, uh, you know, I, one of the things that um, you know, I, one of the examples I give to people of of like, well, I'll say this. I think sometimes Coach Knott embraced being Coach Knott and loved. He knew what the fans were there a lot of times to see, whether on the road or at home. Uh, and so I think sometimes, you know, Coach Knott would put the general's cap on for a few minutes just to kind of, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, sometimes it was legit. He was angry and he was, <laughs> and he was going to, you know, but there was a lot of times that he, it was a completely controlled, like, all right, you want some of the general? Here's some of the general. And he, he might use it to his advantage against an official uh, or, or just uh, give the fans a little bit of, of what they came to the arena to see. Because there was there was one time in particular, um, we were in the first half of a game, and this official made a, uh, a bad call, and, and Coach Knott was letting him have it. And, uh, and, and if you were watching the highlights on TV that night of the game at home, you'd be looking and be like, oh, Coach Knott's losing it again. Look at it. He's just out of control. And then he, so he's yelling, he's yelling, and we're sitting in the, on the bench in the huddle waiting for him to come back to us. 
And so he just yells his last word or whatever, turns around, kneels down, grabs the clipboard, and goes, ah, that ref never has like me. God, this is what we're going to run the next play. <laughs> you know, it was just like, it was just a trick. I mean, it was just a complete, like, oh, so that's, that's what some of this is. Now, it wasn't like that all the time, but it, it, it was more like that uh, than what I think some people realize. You know, I think I, I agree with you because, you know, a lot of people, you know, will know about him throwing the chair, but there's a lot of things behind throwing the chair which helped the team out, you know, so it's a, it, yeah. I, I see where you're coming with that. Uh, tell us about becoming known as the Spartan Killer. Can you tell, can you tell the uh, listeners about, about that game and, and is there a day that goes by that you don't think about that shot? <laughs> uh, uh I think about it pretty often. Uh, it's one of the uh, I enjoy when people send me pictures. Like I'll get some pictures on Twitter. People send different pictures of different you know thing, you know uh, angles of, of that shot and stuff. And and um, I, it, it, one of the interesting things is that um, that was only the second game winning shot I'd ever attempted in, in high school, college, middle school combined. And uh, the the first one I took uh, was in the, for for a state championship game. Uh, we were down one, and uh, uh, I barely missed a shot uh, that went in and out uh, to win the state championship. And so it'd been uh, about three years since I'd taken that shot. And then uh, the next one, the next one I took was, um, you know, fortunately went in against Michigan State, and. Uh, and I'm, I'm lucky that Tom Coverdell was on the team because I, when I, when the, you know, when they came on the court, when all the fans came on the court and they just tackled me and I was, I was pinned in pretty bad. I was on the floor and just, you know, uh, as loud as the arena was, it was getting really quiet and really dark <laughs> where I was. And, uh, the next thing I see is, is Tom Coverdell looking like King Kong Bundy in like a 1994 <laughs> Royal Rumble, just throwing throwing people over the top rope like Hacksaw Jim Duggan and, and you know they're just like he was just chunking people left and right until he could uh, until he could pick me up so that was to me that was his best assist of the night uh, was him just uh, helping me uh, get up out of that uh, off the floor uh, after the game but uh, but uh, that was that was a real a real special deal um, my granddad uh, my granddad was at that game and uh, and so that was a it was a special moment to to be able to just uh, go with him and go out to eat after the game and just uh, kind of kind of think about like you know what we've done and where we've been and, and how we got to that point. It was a um, it was a real neat moment to be able to to, to share. Uh, well, number one, you just let everybody know that you you, you seem like a pretty well versed uh, uh, wrestling fan. And <laughs> and number two, I remember it because I was in Memphis, Tennessee at the time, and my employer was a graduate uh, graduate of Michigan State. And I had nothing prouder than going in that next day and just rubbing it in his face. So, so I thank you, uh, Kirk. What, what was what, what was the decision process like for you to leave? And tell us about the draft process. Yeah, um, that, that's that, that's the other that's the other side of the coin on Twitter of how of how many times I get asked. Uh, you know, it's like, oh man, you, you missed out on you know we could have done this or you could have been a part of that. And uh, and it's it's one of the most Gut wrenching decisions I had to go through, uh, and here, you know, getting down to the brass tacks of it is, uh, I went to the Chicago uh, pre-draft camp and had a great camp, and I made I, I put myself uh, in position. I think uh, after that, the way I played in that camp, I pushed my stock up from uh, a, you know 
a middle to first, you know, first part of the second round to a potential late first round, the middle of first round. And, and, uh, I came back from that pre-draft camp and I just was thinking to myself, you know, I'm healthy. I'm coming off a good year and I I just had uh, a really good NBA pre-draft camp. I just don't know if those three things will ever line up again for a six foot nine white kid from from Mobileville, Tennessee, that that is lucky to be able to have a you know a twenty seven inch vertical jump on a good day. So uh, you know, I it, it was it was more of a pragmatic move than a than a than a heartfelt move because there was just no better thing to play in college basketball at Indiana, especially with the, the teammates that I had. I mean, I just. It, it just it just crushed me to not not be able to play, uh, you know, with with Dane and, and Odell and, and Coverdale and Jeffries. I just man, I love those guys, and uh, and I, I I just you know I would have loved to have been part of that, but you know I, I think for the long term and for my family and, and everything, it was the wise decision. Uh, but uh, you know I, I would love to have had my cake and ate it too, and and going on that Final Four run and being a part of that and maybe won a national title and then continue on, but you just you just never know. Shoot, I, I could have I could have had a terrible game against Duke and shot us out of the game. You know, I may I may have I, they may have won uh because I wasn't there. You just never know how, how things can play out. So um I don't know. I don't let myself dwell on it too much. Uh I've I've had uh I've had way too many uh, good things happen in my life to, to get too upset over over uh, not being a part of a Final Four run. That's uh, that's if that's one of your problems, you know, one of your big problems, then then uh, that that's um, that's you're in pretty good shape. So I, I try not to, to, to dwell on it too much. Very well said, uh, Kirk. How was it rough getting out of the game? And then when you were on that process of getting out of the game, when did that coaching light go off in your head? Um, yeah, it was it was difficult. I, my my career definitely went in the opposite order of what you'd hope. You know, I, I went uh, I went NBA uh, NBA D League to overseas, and you'd really like to flip that pyramid over and go the other way <laughs> with your career timeline. Um, so uh, I, I was in Sis- I was in Sicily when it finally just hit me. Uh, my my knee. I've had my I just had my second knee surgery uh, on my my right knee, and I, it was just like I could get two good days out of it and of uh, going hard, and then it would just swell up. And uh, I just really couldn't figure out any way of, of getting around it, and so I finally uh, decided it was time to, to move on. And and uh, I'd always told myself that at some point that it was going to be really nice for my life and my mood to not be dictated by wins and losses. And so I thought I'm never going to coach. And then <laughs> you just you, you get out of it for about two or three years, and you're just like, man, it, it's you just miss the process, you miss the locker room, you miss. You miss, you know, as weird as it sounds, you miss the game film, and um, and I just I just knew that that was something that I wanted to pursue, and and so um, I ended up uh, getting my master's and, and getting into teaching, and and eventually uh, got into coaching, and uh, we went to uh, uh, we've gone to a couple of been uh, been lucky enough to get to a couple of state tournaments, and one two we went to, we met the final four twice, one of them the championship game. Uh, and so, uh, uh, and, and we ended up getting beaten the championship game. So, uh, but it's, it's been, uh, it's been about everything that I thought it would be. Um, but you know, it, it's, 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 it's a pretty neat deal to be back in your, where you played high school basketball and being back a part of the program and, and trying to pass along 
the tradition to some of the, the kids coming up. You're still coaching there, right? Uh, correct. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, do you have opportunities to go other places? Do you feel like, you know, that's just your place to be? I've, I've had, I've had some, uh, I've had some other offers. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm not saying that that I would never enter, you know entertain the idea of, of doing something else or going somewhere else. But you know, for for right now, you know it's uh, you know it's kind of I'd like the line. It's kind of hard to be happier than happy, and so I, I try not to go chasing too much for things that um, you know that that uh, you know it'd have to be just a really perfect situation or in and everything for me to to want to leave here because my family and I are really happy here. And so uh, I don't want to, it, it would have to be something that um, it would be just a perfect fit for, uh, for me to, to try to move on from, from a place that we're really happy at. Now, Kirk, the book is named days of night, how the general changed my life. Uh, I actually uh, ordered a copy two days ago from amazon.com. But when, <laughs> when did that, when did I want to write a book kind of pop in your head and what was the process of being able to get Coach Knight to approve some of the stuff that you put in the book? Well, uh, I, it's, it's no surprise that even, uh, you know, at, at the present point um, that my mom is still positively impacting my life. But well, when, when I left for college um, uh, in 97 or 98, 97, 98, she, uh, she gave me a journal and she said, you're going to want to remember some of the things that, that you go through and some of the stuff that you learn and everything. And so I, I just filled up the pages with, I'd get home from practices and I would just write down the things that happened or some quotes that coach Knight had said and some, you know, some of the things that, you know, I found interesting. And, and then of course we had our red books, our famous red books that, that we had to keep, you know, notes in and, and game preparation stuff in with coach Knight at all of our, team meetings at the hotels and locker rooms across the country at all the games and all the practices. And so in the margins, I would write down some things, you know, some funny quotes or some things that he would say, or, um, you know, just some, some, we'd have guest speakers and I would write down things that Magic Johnson and Jerry West and, you know, Steve Spurrier and all these people that would come through our locker rooms and, and write down the things that they said. And, uh, you know, if I, <laughs> Coach Knight was known to go through our notebooks every now and then just to make sure that we were keeping good notes. And so if it was something that he said that I thought was funny, uh, that I would kind of write real sloppy in the margin. So I thought, well, maybe <laughs> maybe if I write this in shorthand, he's not going to look and be like, well, why is Kirk writing that I said this about that coach? <laughs> uh, so uh, so I, I was kind of – I tried to be a little smart about it. But it really never did enter my mind that I would use the notes one day for, for a book. But, um, you know – any Indiana player will tell you that one of the things that, that we get asked a lot is all the time people want to know, what well, tells the coach not story? You know, what tells the coach not quote? And so I, I came across my red book, my red notebooks and my that journal uh, one day a couple of years ago and started reading through it. And I was like, man, just, I mean, there's a lot of stories and a lot of quotes in here. And, and I thought, I, I think that, you know, my story intertwined with, you know, kind of how coach not, uh, helped me and, and, and some, some of his stories and lessons along the way that maybe I don't think many people have heard. You know, there's probably one of my pitches I was telling to people is like, you know, there's probably a hundred new not quotes that you've never heard and, and maybe, you know, 30 or 40, you know, coach not stories that nobody's ever read. So I thought, I think that people might be interested in that, at least in Indiana. <laughs> and so, uh, 
um, I started a couple years back of, um, you know, we'd, we'd put the kids to bed and at about, from about 9 p.m. to 2 a.m., I'd, I'd go to, to working and riding and, and uh, it was about a two year process of, of doing it like that until I had some, enough to kind of send out and, uh, and see if there's anybody interested in it. And luckily, uh, I had, I had some people interested in it and, and that's kind of how it, how, it, how it happened. Oh, you asked about Coach Knight. Uh, that was <laughs> that was one of the number one hurdles because uh, I, I I was uh, I sent them. It was early on that it was probably about a year and a half in the process of writing. I sent them a rough draft, uh, and I've you know I've kept in touch with them and, and uh, been and especially with uh, his wife Miss Karen. I always had a good relationship with her, and and she texts you know she texts so it's easier to kind of get quick messages back and forth. Coach not it doesn't seem to be as big a texture, so I, I kind of go through her a lot and talk with her more and and so i sent them uh, a rough draft with a letter just explaining everything and and once she uh, sent me a message back saying that you know what, what you know that they they liked what they saw and and uh and she really she really liked because the title at first didn't have how the general changed my life and so she she contacted me and she was like listen you know i just want to make sure there's nothing in here that coach Snyder is going to make him like listen I sent them. I sent my publisher the book, and they wanted to. Ch- they wanted to add to the title "How the General Changed My Life." Uh, you know, on the, uh, they wanted to add to that to the title, and she, that, I could just tell that she was like, you know, that really relaxed her about it. I don't think she was that concerned about me doing anything, but just the fact that the publisher themselves had read something and they wanted to—that's the vibe that they got from reading the book—made her realize kind of what the book was about. And it's actually, is it from uh, the publisher, Indiana University Press? Yes, yes, it's IU Press. It, it, uh, that is correct. And Kirk, where can people actually get the book? Uh, well, right now, um, you know, IU Press website, but Amazon and Books and Million uh, are, are both places that you can pre-order it. Uh, it won't um, it won't be uh, shipped or, or in shelves on shelves at stores until August fifteenth. Uh, uh, but um, I'm I'm planning I'm, I'm supposed to be up there at some point for uh, during Hoosier Hysteria, and we're going to have a, a book signing up there. Uh, that have been kind enough to to let us be able to do that during the Hoosier Hysteria uh, week or weekend. So I'm looking forward to getting back to Bloomington for that. But uh, uh, it's uh, it's been a it's it's a it's an interesting slash uh, <laughs> uh, scary process to kind of put put yourself out there a little bit. So, but I just hope I hope. Who's your fans really enjoy it? Oh, I think so. I think so. There, uh, a gentleman by the name of Tom Brood has put out a book called Missing Banners, and and I thought that was a fabulous read, also. But uh, I, I think yours will do very well, and I hope it. I hope it does very well. Um, uh, Kirk, tell us. <laughs> I mean, does it make your head spin? Are you going to have to do book signings? Is there like a whole schedule that you're going to have to do with this book uh, uh, as it releases? Yeah, the the the, oh, the two that I know of right now, I think that we're going to add some some places. Uh, I'll be in um, in, in uh, May thirteenth uh, at the um, American Book Expo, uh, Book Expo America, American Book Expo. I get that reversed sometimes. At Chicago, uh, we're going to be up there, um, and uh, I'll be uh, uh, there March uh, March May thirteenth uh, for a, uh, a signing there, and there'll be some uh, early copies available uh, at that, uh, that 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 will be available to to buy at the expo, but. Uh, but we'll be adding some along the way, uh, um, and hopefully get to some other locations in Indiana. I've, I've had a couple people uh, ask me via Twitter about some some possible uh, places that we could go and do some signing. So I'm hoping to maybe 
branch out and do some more. Now, Kirk, just a couple more questions. I probably kept you a little bit longer than I should. Uh, my first is, was there, and, and, and there's a lot of people I've asked this question, and, uh, you know, A.J. Guyton, uh, Kent Benson, uh, Steve Risley, uh, uh, to, to, to name a few, but was there any one team that Coach Knight that you feel like prepared to win against more than any other team, or was every game the same preparation? Ooh, it, it was... It was all very, very similar. Uh, but you could tell, you could tell there was a couple teams that um, the his intensity was was even even a little bit higher than, than normal. I would say, uh, um, and you could also, I think you can also gauge it by how he reacted after games, either after wins or losses, uh, about how excited or, or kind of how upset he was. Which ones kind of kind of were more uh, calendar, uh, you know, calendar date circles on his uh, uh, on, on, on his calendar. Uh, I think the Ohio State was on that list. Purdue definitely on that list. Um, you know, I would say that those two were the ones um, that um, probably in the next one would be Michigan. But it, Ohio State and, and Purdue always seemed like the two that he really did. Uh, he was really key in on. Now, I heard a little chuckle when you said Purdue. Now, you know, I'm assuming that when this interview gets out, since uh, you didn't know that the Mackey Arena was still called Mackey Arena, you're going to get a hard time. But uh, can you talk a little bit about <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about what that rivalry was like? Is, is it is as intense as fans make it? Or were you guys more, you knew each other more than you competed against each other during that rivalry? Well, hold, hold on a second. Let's just... At three twenty, it's three twenty-one here in Tennessee, and I'm pretty sure that somewhere, some some way, Brian Cardinal just flopped and took a charge from there. So let's just, in honor, in honor of that, let's all just take a brief moment. Uh, you know, I I never coming in coming in from Tennessee. I was I was I kind of was a little bit on the outside looking in uh, at at. at Kind of the the heated rivalry this was. It didn't take me long to realize <laughs> that uh, that this was the one that we had to win, <laughs> or these are the two games we played that we had to win. Um, but for the guys, for the guys that were in state players, I mean, it was just everything. I mean, they and I I hated I hated that that I didn't have that feeling as much as they did, you know, because it just meant that much more to me. I, um, you know, one of the ones I left off the list a while ago, obviously, was, uh, you know, Kentucky, which I wish they could get that straightened out because that needs to be played every year. Uh, that was, that was just such a special, that, to me, when I played, uh, just because there was always a hatred in Tennessee for Kentucky, I think that that's universal if you're not, you know, if you're not from Kentucky. So I had, I had a little bit more, uh, of a feeling, uh, of, of, uh, of a rivalry feeling playing against Kentucky than I did Purdue personally. So, that one was was way up there on on the list as well with Coach Knight, but uh, but the uh, the Purdue rivalry it just um, th- there was nothing quite like there was nothing quite like that uh, that that drive in uh, that that drive up to that game. It was one of the few games you know we uh, we would actually uh, uh, drive up for that game, of course, and and there was this little restaurant that we'd stop in when we were getting you know we were getting pretty close. And just the looks from the fans. <laughs> you walk in, you're any other basketball player. The team walks into a, a restaurant that's around Bloomington area, and it's just like you know, oh, you can just tell the vibes. 
you you walk into a restaurant with Coach Knight and you're when you're getting into Purdue territory, you better be hoping you might as well just get the salad bar because you don't want to see what they're doing to your food behind the scenes. I mean, it was it was a totally different vibe. <laughs> that's that's some good stuff, man. That, that is some really good stuff. The book is called Days of Night. How the General Changed My Life. Kirk, uh, go to Amazon.com, get yours pre-ordered today, or you can probably Google Indiana University Press. They have a fabulous website where they have other books on there also. Kirk, thank you so much for spending some time with uh, with us, uh, uh, keeping the nostalgia alive, and uh, 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 best of success for your book. And, and thank you for uh, uh, sharing some memories with the audience. I'm sure they're going to really enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you having me on.